Welcome to Can, Can We, we talk, talk About this? this? I'm your host, Amberly from The Power of Birth. And I'm your producer, Rajelle from Be Designs. And together we created this podcast to talk about women's health and the things that really matter. We have a real passion and focus on women's health and wellness and overall emphasize the importance of talking about maternal health. We chat to experts and continue sharing your stories. We're here to start the conversation, raise awareness, spread the word, call out gaps in the system and implicit biases. And we hope you learn something or even if you're just screaming yes the entire podcast. This is not a place for small talk. We're about real talk. And when we know better, we do better. And we challenge you to start this conversation elsewhere. Did you know you can find further resources on thepowerofbirth.net via the printable resources tab that includes things like a hospital bag checklist, postpartum toolbox, pelvic health information, and so much more. Don't forget while you're there to subscribe to thepowerofbirth.net for your free printable motherhood affirmations. I hope you love them as much as I do. Early pregnancy loss deserves recognition of the impact it can have on women and families. After all, early pregnancy loss is defined by pregnancy that ends in miscarriage by 20 weeks. That's up to halfway through a pregnancy. The effects of miscarriage needs more awareness, more understanding, and far more support. So today on the podcast, I'm chatting to Sarah Tinkler, a mom of one angel baby and her daughter, Maisie. Sarah gets really honest in this conversation about the challenges early pregnancy loss can bring, the anxiety, the theft of joy, self-blame, and the constant need for reassurance that everything is okay. We also chat about the stigma, the complacency in society, accepting miscarriage as normal rather than common, and her healing birth with Maisie. Sarah does go into some detail about her experience, and so please consider yourself and how you're feeling before tuning in. Well, start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and what life is like right now. Yeah. Um, so my identity at the moment is very much wrapped up in being mum to little Maisie, who is six months old. Um, I also consider myself mum to our little Sprinkle, who we lost at eight weeks. I got married in March 2020, just before COVID really hit. My husband's name's Michael. We met when um, I was 16 and he was 17, so we've been together for a long time. Um, And we live in a little small country town, sort of an hour's um, north of Melbourne. We've got a rescue greyhound and a cat that's an absolute pest. (laughs) I, um, pre-mat leave, I worked at a special school as a speech pathologist. And I just love reading. I love crafting. I'm a pretty big introvert. So this is pretty big for me (laughs) as a a quiet introvert. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Doing a podcast is so daunting. Yeah. I I sort of feel like that every episode though. Yeah. Okay. Good. (laughs) Good, Yeah. Because there's like lots of pressure, right? To try and draw. So, you know, pressure on either end. Yes. But yeah, thank you so much for doing this. And thank you so much for reaching out. And for those who are tuning in, if you go back to episode 12 with Amelia Pickering, the birth doula that I chat to in that episode, who is absolute fire talking about birth, (laughs) you were one of Amelia's clients and she mentions you in that podcast, doesn't she? She does, yes. Yeah. I think you recorded that very soon after, like only days after our birth with Maisie. So it was quite fresh in her mind, yeah. Yes. And yeah, she kept drawing back to um, Mm. that birth in particular. Well, we are going to be talking about some heavy topics today Mm -hmm. and then some really light 
and fun and exciting and beautiful topics as well. Yeah. Um, and I love that you have both sides to that story now sure. because yeah. I know those who maybe are still in that darkness or heaviness, it can be really difficult. So I hope this episode is able to bring people some hope at least. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, let's just start right from the beginning then yep. when you decided that you were going to start a family. And I know this isn't always something that people do, mm-hmm. but was it like that for you? Did you know? No. <laughs> mm, yeah, see? Yeah, tell no. me, tell me. Um, so, yeah, as I said, we got married in March 2020. So um, it was all pretty crazy. We got married. COVID wasn't really a thing. But literally three, four days later, we wouldn't have been able to get married. So everything just yeah blew up so we went on a little short honeymoon to tassie and while we were there it was like i was asleep and then woke up and the whole world had changed basically but we had planned to so we both had leave for work we'd planned to take this big big honeymoon in june july you know we were floating south america europe southeast asia we had all these plans we'd saved all this money so then obviously we realized pretty quickly that that was not going to happen so we thought okay well let's just spend our money on a bigger family quote unquote family car um and if our attitude was very much if it happens it happens you know if we fill the family car we fill the family car but I was never super maternal. I, I always imagined kids in my future, but I never, you know, I didn't have a timeline on it. I wasn't really itching to be pregnant and be a mum. But yeah, it was definitely something I saw for myself, just no burning desire at that point. So yeah, I think we were pretty naive as to how quickly it could happen for us. And so, so oh, grateful that it you know it's it's been really easy for us in terms of conception which I don't take for granted at all I know that it's so hard for so many people but yeah our attitude was quite flippant very much if it happens it happens um my period was always really irregular so I just didn't see it happening very quickly and it just did I you know probably one cycle of if it happens it happens and we were pregnant (laughs) um so that was pretty crazy yeah wow well how did you feel about this pregnancy then yeah i was shook so there's a big backstory but essentially mick and i the night before had had a massive argument and had rolled into the next day still shitty at each other um we were deep in um we both work at school so we're deep in remote learning at that point but because i was at a special school i was still on site so i'd gotten home um, from work and he was obviously still, obviously still grumpy at me. So he'd gone for a run cause he didn't want to see me when I got home. <laughs> and, and it's so funny because we're not the kind of people that our fights never roll into the next day, like ever. And this one time it did. Um, but anyway, I got home and I'd had a delivery from chemist warehouse that I just ordered, you know, a few things and some pregnancy tests. And I thought, I'll just, I'll just take one. It's not going to be positive, but I'll just take it because it's there. And I was so, you know, not invested in it that I didn't even watch it do its thing. Like, I think I just started scrolling on my phone and looked down and saw what I thought was the control line and was like, oh, yeah, sweet. And then realized there was a second line and (laughs) lost my shit. (laughs) Yeah, what timing. Oh, man. (laughs) I was like 
sitting on the floor of the toilet, just shaking. I just didn't, I think I sat there for half an hour before Mick got home and then he came inside and I think he, I think he knew, I think I texted him and said, when you get home, just come to the bathroom. And so I think he knew pretty much straight away, found me on the floor and he was so, he's, he was so confused. He didn't know how to react because I was having such an intense reaction and he sort of said, Sarah, isn't this a good thing? And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess it is a good thing. And then I had that, oh, yeah, this is this is good. This is amazing. Um, but it's just, yeah, that we weren't, I just was not expecting it. Um, yeah, yeah, wild. So it was just, would you say, the intensity of the shock was what it was? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I just didn't expect it. I think, I don't know, I make a general, like, like a general sweeping statement, but I think as women, a lot of us just convince ourselves that it's going to be really hard. You know, yeah. I had this super irregular cycle, really long, weird periods, like intense ovulation pain, which I've since learned is because I've got um, some cysts and things. But, you know, I just, yeah, I was just in shock. I just did not expect it to to happen so do way. you have PCOS I don't but I have it's when I ovulate a cyst develops and then goes away is what they said interesting. yeah so I had to um you know like I've had tests and things but it's something that they could never pinpoint yeah. unless I went to get a scan on the day that I was ovulating so they didn't work it out until um I was pregnant with Maisie and then the cyst stayed there because of my pregnancy hormones that they then saw it in um in our scans yeah and so then what happened to the cyst throughout your pregnancy and then after birth so it's just one of those things because I asked the same question and they said it's just one of those things it'll just stay there because I had a lot of pain early on in Maisie's pregnancy um Mm. obviously with all the stretching and growing there was pressure on the cyst and um they said Typically, it stays there the whole pregnancy, but by the 20-week scan, they can't see it anymore because baby's too big, so it's covering it. Um, and it just goes away on its own um, when all your hormones recede, basically. So I haven't had a scan or anything since um, since she's been here to see where it's at, but yeah, I haven't. You don't get the pain anymore? Well, I've, I've only just got my period back, um, so I, I haven't really noticed it yeah. yet. Yeah. Ooh, oh, I yeah. wonder if that will change now that you've had a baby. Yeah, you know I how don't sometimes know. our bodies just have a way of sort oh. of fixing itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Funny, hey? Yeah, so interesting. Oh, that's very yeah. interesting. I didn't know that. Super random. So you fall pregnant. Mm-hmm. How was this pregnancy? How far along were you when you found out you were pregnant? Yep. And what happened? So we were super early. I think the next day I went and got those digital ones um, and it was one to two weeks. So fresh as. Um, I remember like, you know, putting in the dates on the app and it says your baby is the size of a sesame seed. And I think that's when it really hit home for me. Like, oh my God, a sesame seed. And then you swiped across and it um, gave it to you in like candy. So it was the size of a sprinkle. So then that's where um, their name sprinkle came from. We were just happy. We were just in this beautiful love bubble, just ignorant bliss. It was just the best, the best, the best in the early days. I had a scan, went for my um, 
dating scan at I thought I was I think I thought I was about seven weeks at that point and then I went I had the scan booked in and I was just I was super nervous about it I had um a family member who had had a miscarriage like only a week or two before so that was just really fresh in my mind and I don't know I'm probably going to say a few things that might sound a bit woo woo but um I just had this moment when I found out that she'd lost her baby that oh that's going to happen to me and I, it wasn't like this premonition and I would never say like you know I, I knew it I predicted it but just you know this feeling of it was probably more like oh I hope this doesn't happen to me but that's just kind of how I felt so going into our first scan I was shitting myself I was so scared peak COVID so Mick couldn't come in with me he was just sitting in the car um the sonographer was you know it's their day-to-day they're pretty blunt she was like yep here you go on the bed you know whatever just I I was hyperventilating and I feel like she just didn't do anything to relax me at all um but I think my biggest fear was just that they were just gonna say you know there's no heartbeat and I just thought that that's worst, worst, worst case scenario. Um, so she went to do the scan externally and she said, oh, I just can't see anything. Um, how do you feel about an internal scan? And I'm like, what do you mean you can't see anything? I had, I had not even considered that that would be a thing that they couldn't mm. see baby. Um, so anyway, I was like okay fine so I had to go to the toilet and empty my bladder and yeah really had to try and pull myself together in the toilet because then I started convincing myself well she's just going to tell me that there's no baby I've imagined the whole thing you know it was a false positive that's sort of where my mind went then um but she did the internal scan and she's you know got the thing shoved up and talking through all my structures and then finally she said well, here's the sack where baby's growing and here's your baby. And it was just, you know, this tiny little blurry little thing on the screen. But there was a heartbeat, which was so special. Um, just, you know, a little flickering on the screen there. And, oh, I just exhaled. Um, and I just, yeah, I just relaxed then for a couple of minutes. And then she said... She did all her clicks and she said, oh, you're measuring about five, I think, she, I think she said five weeks, six days. And I was pretty convinced on my dates. Like I definitely thought I was at least seven weeks at that point. Um, but, you know, she didn't, I said, oh, I thought I was about seven. She said, oh, yeah, you know, that's, you know, it happens. Um, and then she took the heart rate and she said, oh, it's, it's in the normal range. It's just on the lower side of normal. So then I was like, oh, okay, well, is that something I need to worry about? And she was like, no, don't worry. You know, it's still in the normal range, nothing to worry about. But I felt pretty flat after that scan. Like, and again, I'm not going to say like I knew something was wrong, but it just, you know, you want to hear that everything's average. You want to hear that everything yeah. is exactly how it should be. So something um, just wasn't sitting right Something with you. wasn't sitting right. No, nah, I was really quiet on the drive home. Mick was like, what's going on? Yeah, I just, it just felt, I felt off. Um, but, you know, then I, I guess just put it out of my mind and we had another few weeks, I think. 
Oh, not even really. Another week and a half, I would say, of, you know, that lovely blissful ignorance. And then pretty quickly things went downhill. So I woke up one Saturday morning and had just some spotting. And it was brown, super light. Honestly, I just thought, oh, yeah, didn't really think anything of it. You know, everything you read is that spotting super normal in early pregnancy and not to worry about it. So, you know, I just noted it but didn't really think too much about it. And over the course of Saturday and Sunday, it kind of ebbed and flowed. So there'd be times in the day where it would be quite red and a bit heavier. Then it would go back to brown and basically nothing, you know, the end, you know, the end, end of your period where it's like, nothing to worry about um then by sunday night it had gotten quite red again so mick called like a pregnancy hotline nurse on call situation and they were just like don't worry about it you know it's super normal in early pregnancy but maybe just book in with your gp um you know during the week and we'll see what's going on so I called my GP the next morning um, and she I've had the same GP since I was like 16. So she was really good, got me in straight away. She said, we'll do the blood tests that they do two days apart to make sure your HCG levels are rising as they should be. So that was on the Monday. So I went in and got those blood tests done and that I went in early morning and I had had no bleeding Monday morning. So I'm sitting there thinking, well, this is probably going to be nothing you know I'll get the blood test and it'll be fine and then when I got back from the doctor literally got home went to the toilet and there was way more blood than they had been the past two days and it was it was quite quite red and quite a lot and I thought okay I don't like this and I'm like of course of course it's Murphy's law that you know the second I get home from the doctor it's bad again but it was fine that morning so I called my GP back and she said okay just you know rest on the couch I'm gonna um, book you in for a scan tomorrow and we're gonna see what's going on so she booked us in to get a scan on the Tuesday but we never we never got to that scan Um, everything went pretty downhill pretty quickly from that point on we were watching my hubby and I love Survivor so we were watching Survivor (laughs) that night And I just started getting really crampy, that period pain cramp. And I just said to him, something like, you know, it's it's over. I think I said to him, it's over. And he's such an optimist. And he kept saying, it's not over until it's over. You know, we'll get to the scan tomorrow. We'll stay positive. You know, we don't know. Um, We don't know until we know. And so I was just, yeah, trying to be positive. But I was in quite a lot of pain at that point and you know I realize now that I was laboring essentially Mm. um so we went to bed that night I was still cramping but I fell asleep probably at you know 9 30 10 and I woke up at midnight and I had bled through um my undies and my pajamas so I woke Mm. up to go to the toilet and just this apron just fell out um just this gush of blood just everywhere and it just I think because I'd been lying down as well for a couple hours it just came out so hard and fast that I um almost fainted Mm. I think the the 
the shock of it and I was petrified and then also just that huge rush of blood I'm a fainter anyway so um got down on the floor put my legs up in the air and I just remember in that moment like the irony of it just hit me because I was like well I was on the floor of the toilet crying when I found out I'm pregnant and now here I am on the floor of the toilet again losing this baby and I had this weird out-of-body experience where I felt like I was just watching myself from above and I I think I said to Mick like I know how this plays out now and I just don't I don't want to do it like I just I knew what was going to have to happen and I just did not want to go through it just wanted to skip to the after part um but he sort of he got a bit like he didn't know what to do like I woke him up I was like you need to come and yeah he wasn't really sure what to do so I don't know something in me just switched and I was like okay I got really super practical okay you need to call the ambulance and get me some towels and you know do this that and the other um so he did and we had a pretty I had pretty shit experience with the ambos to be honest um they were two middle-aged men and they just didn't really have any empathy like they were fine enough but um they didn't even ask my name until we were like halfway to the hospital and my husband's really tall and I'm really short so one of them kept trying to crack jokes with me about you know the long and short of it and I was just like oh man read the room I walked in I said what's wrong and I said I'm having a miscarriage and he said oh yeah unfortunately it does look like that's what's happening um yeah so they got me up um sat me on the chair and took my heart rate and um it was fast obviously because I was freaking out took me to the hospital and it was just so rough because I had to put a mask on Mick again couldn't come so yeah so I'm in the ambulance by myself he just sat he was just sitting at home waiting for me to tell him what was going on we live you know really far it's an hour's drive into Melbourne so I just was in the back of the ambulance I just after the guy asked me my name when we were like halfway to the hospital I just thought fuck this I'm sorry to swear but I was like fuck this I'm not even engaging with you and I just closed my eyes and tried to pretend I wasn't there until we got to the hospital um and I was still like I could feel all the blood I could feel and I kept having these like gushes where I could just feel it happening it was awful um but then when we got to hospital I had a wonderful wonderful nurse she was amazing um so we got there and I she said um I need you to go into the toilet and take off your pad um because we'll monitor the blood loss and gave me a new pad to put on um and I so I went into the toilet and um pulled down my pants and Sprinkle was there in my undies um so that was really hard um and I just like panicked and I didn't know what to do and I had this weird thought and it's it's so weird now but my first thought was oh my god it's so cute (laughs) 
And it's not like, it wasn't cute. And I call Sprinkle she because in my mind, I, I just felt like from the start, I was like, it's a girl, it's a girl. I don't actually know that she was a girl, but I refer to her as she. Um, so yeah, I was just like, she's so cute. <laughs> and anyone who's seen any pregnancy apps of an eight week old gestation baby knows it's not cute. It's super grotesque. But yeah, I just, you know, it was mine. Um, and I felt so weird, like for thinking that for so long after. And I remember like, I finally spoke to my friend about it. And I said, oh, Cass, like, I feel like a crazy person because my first thought was that she's so cute. And I wrote, um, I'm just going to read it because I wrote down what Cassie said back to me because it was like one of the most special, special things um, that she, that, yeah, anyone's ever said. Um, I just got to find it. So she said, isn't it kind of beautiful that even when they look like that, we're hardwired to think that they're cute. And even at that very early stage, they're already a teeny tiny version of themselves. Perfect from the get go to perfect for this world. And that was just so special, you know, to have my best friend validate that for me, that I wasn't crazy, you know, for thinking this tiny little blueberry sized baby was cute. Um, but yeah, after that thought, I just really panicked. I didn't know what to do. So I just pulled my pants back up and I stuck my head out of the toilet and I called out to the nurse and I said to her, oh, I just, I don't want to, the baby's there. I don't want to look. And that's one of my biggest regrets because I just wish I did it differently. Um, Cause now I know that my baby's medical waste. And, like, that's so hard. And I know, you know, I've read things since that people will miscarry in the toilet and freak out and flush it and then have this, you know, you've got to live with the fact that you've flushed your baby. And for me, I've got to live with the fact that I know that my baby is medical waste. And uh, I just wish I took a photo or... Are you saying that they threw it in the bin? Yeah. What? Not in front of me. No. But, Yeah. They didn't offer it. I think because I said, I don't want to see it. I don't know. And yeah, they could have done it so differently. They could have given me the opportunity later when I'd calmed down a little bit to. Yeah. Like you're in the moment. If this is happening, you're shocked. Yeah. You can't. You're frazzled, distressed. Yeah. No. No. There's no rational thoughts in your mind at that point. Um, Yeah. I just, and I have so much guilt because, um, because Mick wasn't there as well. And you know, like, that's his baby too. And he and never... do you feel like things could have been different if he was? Yeah. Yeah. hundred yeah, percent. Not that, um, you know, not that she might have ended up in the bin, but yeah. just, yeah, we just didn't get to enjoy you know, we didn't get to enjoy the highs of it together because of COVID and we didn't then get to experience the lows of it together. Yeah. And that's that's just the hardest thing for me is that he wasn't there. He's such a calm and 
rational presence and I feel like he just would have grounded me so much in that moment yeah and I don't know you know whether or not I would have looked or whether or not I would have said no I want to take my baby home or you know I don't I don't know what would have been different but it just I just have so much guilt that I feel like I made this flippant decision when I wasn't in my right mind on our behalf and I I just wish he got to see her as well and I don't I don't even know that he would have wanted to but yeah I just that, I wish well, I had robbed of that experience exactly yeah Yeah. exactly yeah yeah um so yeah that was that was pretty horrible and then um did you receive any support through the hospital no they said um so they said that they were gonna like give me some info stuff on my way out and they never did because the doctor was called up to a birth or something and they ended up just sending like I walked out of the hospital myself with you know I didn't even know where I was going I had to turn back around and say to one of the nurses can you show me the way out because I just was like walking aimlessly um but yeah I, I don't know I don't know whether it was the COVID thing you know like there was a whole section of the hospital that was literally like glad wrapped up like tarps separating this COVID section from mm. you know it was when COVID was super new and scary and yeah um so yeah I don't I don't know what it was but um yeah no I received no support I waited for stuff in the mail for ages and it just never came and I just never chased it up because it just felt like I wanted to close yeah. that chapter a little bit so how did you process all of this um I didn't for a really long time. I had um, I had this moment in the hospital that like has never left me and I don't know that it will ever leave me where I they had done an ultrasound um, to they said, oh, we're just going to do an ultrasound to you know make sure that everything's gone. Um, so they did and then then they put a um, speculum up me. And I still don't really know why they did that because they did the ultrasound and confirmed, like the doctor was like, there's, there's just, um, like I remember the nurse, so she said to me, this is going to sound really awful, but it's a good thing. The whole baby has come out, so you don't have to have a DNC. Yeah. Um, and so that's why they then did the ultrasound just to see what was left. And he said to me, there's just a blood clot clot left and it will just come out on its own and um I was in the hospital still and so they came then someone else had come in that was 14 or 16 weeks pregnant or something and she was like it was like two o'clock in the morning too so this woman was so loud and so obnoxious and was like laughing about how you know she needed to pee constantly and that's why she was in the emergency and I remember the nurse like shushed her because she's like there's a lot of people here at the moment that have got some serious trauma happening um and so they came into my room and they took the ultrasound machine out of my room and took it to her and um used it to check her baby's heartbeat so I was 
sitting on the bed myself alone listening to someone else's baby's heartbeat like so loud so clear healthy as after my baby had just died and I had no sound on my ultrasound like it that just ruined me and I just like it's almost like you know they say that miscarriage is common but at the same time because it's common it's almost normalized in a way where it eliminates compassion and empathy because oh well this happens to lots of people absolutely yeah but this is one of the things that I find really powerful and important talking to people about their experiences particularly about miscarriage something Mm. that apparently is quite common Mm. and it deeply affects you yeah it deeply affects you yeah so them normalizing miscarriage transfers to the way that they treated you so you can think yes. about the ambulance and then the doctors and then the sonographer and then 100%. all of these people or oh, this is normal and it happens all the time yeah it's and not it just... normal for you it's the first time that this has happened that's right and it's my first pregnancy I've never yes. experienced a quote-unquote healthy pregnancy mm. and it does it just completely minimizes your pain mm-hmm. and your emotion and it makes you feel like you're over-exaggerating almost because, oh, but it's so common. But yeah. just because oh, you're being dramatic. Common. Yes. And yeah. yeah. And all I those things women makes, are called all the time. Oh, exactly right. <laughs> and makes us feel like if there's something wrong with yeah. us and our bodies. And, yeah, just because it's common, it doesn't mean it's not horrific. And everyone's experience yeah. of miscarriage is so different as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just in the same way birth is. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Just in the same way, pregnancy is yeah. our periods. Yeah. Like we are all very individual. Absolutely. And I, yeah, I really think that acknowledging and recognizing individual experiences in women's health, in particular, and maternity care and birth and all of those things, is what can change instances for you. So, say in that example that you just used, you're laying there and they take the machine away from you and then take it into a pregnant woman to check her baby's heartbeat right next to you. Yeah. If we understood individual experiences and how that impacts a person long-term, because this, I mean, we'll get to it in a minute, but Mm. this would have impacted you from that moment onwards, particularly in other pregnancies and trying to fall pregnant and all of that. If they had have been able to separate you from, because they acknowledge okay, this is going to be extremely triggering for this poor mum who's just lost, lost her baby. Yeah. Let's move her out so that we can keep these things separate because we just don't want anyone to be upset yes. and we're acknowledging and we're empathetic to your experience. Yeah, yeah. I should, I should not have had to have heard that in that moment. And that no. was the last thing that happened to me before they discharged me. So I left the hospital <sighs> with that, you know, carrying yeah. that. And that's, you know, I, I went and got... Um, went and saw a psychologist um after our loss and she said to me she said you meet the criteria for PTSD based on your experience she said Mm. yes you didn't I think one of the criteria is that you um you're fearful that you're going to die and she said 
yes, maybe you didn't think you were going to die in that moment, but you experienced death in your body. And I think that's so hard too, is it's this like really unique kind of loneliness and isolation when you know that death happened inside you. Um, Exactly. It's a lot to get your head around. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as well, um, early miscarriage in particular is even more removed. Yeah. We are not acknowledging women and this experience because of gestation, gestational age. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, you know, one of the first things that people say is, oh, how far along were you? Yeah. And you say eight weeks and I think they think, oh, so what are you so upset about? But I challenge anybody who has been pregnant, taken a pregnancy test to dispute the fact that when you see those two lines on a pregnancy test that says you're pregnant, that your mind doesn't go, I'm having a baby. That's what we do. We think I'm having a baby. We don't think I'm having a bunch of cells that's going to turn into a baby. Like in that moment, that's your baby and gestation does not matter. You start projecting instantly. You start thinking, okay, I've taken the pregnancy test now. So that means that the baby will be born in this month and there'll be one at this time and it'll be a winter baby. Or You know, you start planning this life Mm. straight away. That makes so much sense to me though because what we know about matrescence, are you familiar with matrescence? Yeah. Yeah. What we know about matrescence is that biopsycho, social, political, spiritual, the five elements of matrescence, all of those five elements Yep. From the moment you start thinking about having yes, a baby, yes, not even when you're pregnant, start to play. Yeah, thinking about you it, you don't even have to be pregnant. So then, yep. add a pregnancy, add the two lines, mm-hmm. looking at the two lines, mm-hmm. all, and this is the power of matrescence, I think. And I, I wish everybody knew about I this know. because when we apply that to individual experiences, it makes so much sense. Makes so much sense. Of course, for you, it wasn't just an eight-week-old bunch of cells. That's this right. was your child. Yeah. Yeah. You are their mother. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. And I honestly think that we should be learning far more about matrescence, particularly in these instances. Yes. Because I think that if we were using that as a framework, we would have so much more compassion and empathy for women who do experience loss regardless of gestation. Absolutely. And I just think, you know, we know there's research, we know that our brain literally changes. And if we can accept that that happens in adolescence, why can we not accept that that happens when you become a mum? Like, it is a literal brain change. Yeah. It's amazing. So, you, something you'd said to me early on, I mm. think, um, you'd never even really considered miscarriage, but then obviously hearing about your friend that mm. it happened to, mm. then all of a sudden it it sort of came over you and you this was something that you thought about and that you felt was yeah. going to happen to yeah. you. What do you want people to know about miscarriage now? Yeah. I I feel like for me it's one of the biggest parts of my identity still mm. and I don't think it ever won't be and I think it's so important to consider that for anyone who knows people that have gone through it that it's still it, it stays with you forever. I can't imagine a time that I won't feel it. And maybe I won't feel it as intensely, but I know that I will just feel it forever. It's Mm. almost like the person that I was before it happened died. And 
I'm not that person anymore. I'm, I've completely changed. And mm. I always used to think like, you know, you'd hear about it and you think, oh, that, you know, that's really sad. But then it happens to you. And I think it's one of those things that you just, you cannot comprehend the intensity of it until you live it. Mm. And that's my experience. That not, that's not necessarily everyone's experience. But for me, I, I'm a deep thinker and feeler anyway. So for people that haven't experienced it I think I want them to think about okay this person has honored me I suppose with sharing this really really intense and emotional and personal part of them so don't shut it down don't then say like I think that the the worst thing that people you know I I would say just don't use cliches and platitudes like I think I got a lot of well it wasn't meant to be or you know you can try again um never start a sentence with at least yeah at least it was early at least you can try again at least you can get pregnant Mm -hmm. that was that one killed me because I just felt like screaming well yes I can get pregnant but that's not any good if I can't stay pregnant yeah um so yeah I think asking about people's experience and people might not want to talk about it in that moment but Mm -hmm. they also might and for me I I wanted to talk about it but then I think I kept people at arm's length at the same time so then people didn't want to ask me about it and then I got resentful because I'm like well no one's asking me how I'm feeling yeah you're still trying to understand it yourself exactly exactly and I think as well for people to consider that partners are grieving as well you know check in with the partner yes it didn't happen to their body it didn't happen to them physically they're not going through all the hormotion the hormotional well yeah hormotional <laughs> the hormonal changes <laughs> um but check in with them we had this like I think people were trying really hard not to upset me so then they were checking on me through Nick and mm-hmm. so then it was like he was trying really hard to keep together for me but they're not processing his own grief himself mm-hmm. um so I think that's another really important one um and I think for people that are, are going through it I think as we touched on before like yes just because it's common it doesn't mean it's easy it doesn't mean it's something to just be like oh well, that's fine I'll move on from that and it doesn't mean that it's not isolating it's the most mm-hmm. incredibly isolating thing I have ever been through I felt so alone I felt broken I felt like there was something wrong with me wrong with my body even the even the language that we use around it like the term miscarriage if you break it down it's like to miscarry to carry badly so of course we think that there's something that we did wrong Mm. to make this happen but I just would love people to know that you did nothing wrong there is nothing and this is something I have to tell myself all the time there is nothing I could have done or not done that would have changed the outcome. It is just unfortunately one of those things that happens and it happens all too often. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it, that self-blame comes up yeah. throughout miscarriage yeah. and the way that a woman feels about herself and her body. Yeah. And I think we as women blame ourselves for a lot of things and I think it's part of our social conditioning but at the same time 
I'm like, where does that come from? Like, it's like, I know so where it comes from. Ingrained. Yeah. yeah. But it's, that is, it's such a common, that, that, ha- that's something that's common that's come up in my conversations with people who've had miscarriages is this self-blame. Yes. And it, it, me as a person around them is like, why would you ever blame yourself? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that to me is sort of mind boggling, yeah. but yeah. Almost every single person I've spoken to has experienced the same thing. So how was Hubby then when you, did he pick you up from the hospital? The second we pulled into the driveway, that's when I think he just let his guard down. I think he'd been in such this protection mode, like, you know, I've got to be there for her and I've got to protect her. And then um, when we got home, that's when it really hit him. Then I got in the shower and that, that just a clot left that the doctor told me came out and it was the size of my fist and I had to push it down the drain and you know and again that's another thing that's just you know the doctor's like oh it's only it's only a clot it'll be like a heavy period I'm like it's not a heavy period it's so much worse mm. and even if it was like a heavy period you know that it's not you know that it's your baby mm-hmm. and that's so hard to I just again I feel like language is so important and we're just not prepped. We're not prepped enough for, you know, I didn't know that I would bleed for weeks and weeks after. Nobody told me that. I just, yeah, it's one of those, it's just, you just don't know until you know, right? Yeah. Yeah. So how long did you wait before you started trying again? Yep. Um, not long. <laughs> Pretty much straight away. We were, um, mm-hmm. I think we had, we had to have a really frank and honest chat with each other and we just had a discussion one night and we just said none of this oh if it happens it happens you know we're we're trying but we're not trying trying none of this language we we want a baby we know we want a baby now and that wasn't clear to us before but it's very clear to us now um so yeah so we we flipped our language and we flipped our attitudes and we said yep we're we're trying and we're going to actively try we we want a baby Mm. um so I think we, I think I had um, one cycle and then on my next cycle, we fell pregnant again. And I say cycle, not month, because my cycles are so long. Yes. <laughs> it's not yeah. monthly for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we fell pregnant again really quite quickly, which mm-hmm. again, I'm very grateful for. And how were you feeling once you fell pregnant? Um, horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wasn't. It robbed of that joy now. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. It was hard. It was impossible for me to enjoy it because I had had no experience of a healthy pregnancy. So I was like, well, how can I enjoy this when I don't know? I only know it ending horribly. Um, So, yeah, it definitely wasn't. There was no like, oh, yay, I'm pregnant. It was like oh, I'm pregnant, oh, shit, here we go again almost, you know, mm-hmm. better prepare ourselves, um, which is really sad. You know, I feel sad that it was robbed because you want that, you want those early days to be so lovely and so exciting. You know, you think you're carrying around this super special secret that no one knows about, but for us it was just riddled with fear and anxiety from the get-go. I didn't actually want to know that, um, I was pregnant as early as we found out, um, but I had 
I had sore boobs and I was really irritable and Nick was like, just take a test. I said, I'm, I'm not pregnant. I know I'm not pregnant. And then took a test and I was. And, I, and again, I was really early, like one to two weeks again. Um, so yeah, it, the early, I, I say the early days of my pregnancy, basically my whole pregnancy, I just didn't enjoy it. I just, I was just petrified. I had all these weird milestones in my mind, like, okay, well, if I make it to this time, well, then that's when we had our first scan last time. So then I'll feel a bit better. I lost sprinkle at eight weeks. So if we get to eight weeks, then I'll feel better. But then if we get to 12, you know, just, you're just constantly waiting for the next milestone to feel relief. And then it just never really came for me. I, um, I developed what they call loo terror, um, where you're just petrified of going to the toilet, basically. So mm. I'd get up like four to five times overnight to wee and had to turn all the lights on. I would like obsessively check for bleeding. Um, I, yeah, yeah. It's just really, and it's, again, it's one of those things that you don't know until you know. I had a um, book by... Zoe Clark Coates, I think her name is. She's amazing. Her, she's got a book called Pregnancy After Loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's got like, you know, lots of little tidbits in there. And one of them was about Lou Terror. And I read it and I was like, oh my God, that's me. That's what I'm going through. And just knowing that it's, I wasn't crazy that yeah. you know, so many people go through that as well. Um, just release the shackles a little bit, just knowing that I'm not insane. Like, yeah was weirdo going to the toilet five times a night with all the lights on. Um, yeah, but I just, I couldn't. And did that last your whole pregnancy? Pretty much. Yeah. I remember I got to, I was well into my twenties weeks where I went to the toilet and then I, I went, huh, I didn't just freak out or I didn't just check the toilet paper for blood. And I had this conscious thought of like, oh, that's the first time this entire pregnancy that I haven't checked the toilet paper. And I was well and truly into my 20-something week of pregnancy by then. Yeah. Um, I had like scan anxiety as well in the early days. So I was just absolutely petrified of going for scans. But then at the same time, needed constant reassurance. So um, we paid for like... I think four or five private scans before I was 20 weeks just because I needed that constant reassurance. But then, you know, I'd get a scan and I'd be like, oh, I'm so relieved in the scan. And then I'd feel good for a day. And then the next day I'd think, well, anything could have happened since I had that scan. And then the anxiety would start again. It was just this cycle that I went through like every two to three weeks. So yeah, scans were super rough for me um and then you know people I, I never forget people saying like oh, are you feeling movement yet and at that stage I wasn't I had an anterior placenta so I didn't feel movement for so long so I we were out with Mick's family once and his sister said to me oh, are you feeling movement and I was like oh no not yet like played it super cool and then we got in the car and I turned to Mick and I said so I've booked a scan in for tomorrow <laughs> and I think I think he just got used to it and yeah you know I, I I think he had the anxiety too, but it was quite special, you know, going and seeing her development, even though we paid like an arm and a leg for it. Mm. It was pretty cool seeing, you know, from her being like a, you know, at our dating scan, she was a tiny little bean and yeah, it felt 
I will say my pregnancy felt very different um, from that first scan as well. Like it looked so different to Mm -hmm. the scan we sprinkle. Obviously I wasn't um, as, um, I guess she wasn't developing as she should have been. So I didn't seem like I was as far along as I was. But when we had our um, seven week scan with Maisie, it looked really different. Like there was a clear sort of body and head thing. And again, like that should have given me reassurance, but it did momentarily. And then, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah it's almost like anything positive. Uh, you, it was funny, actually. I picked up what you were saying. You said it a couple of times. You said mm. blissful ignorance. Yeah. As if, and words like that make sense coming from, someone like you with your experience Mm. but I'm like it's funny that you say blissful ignorance because do you think that it's ignorant if a woman is pregnant and doesn't think about miscarriage I think amazing I think oh how great for you I'm jealous and you know that's something that I'm actually still really working on with my psychologist is Mm. those feelings that come up for me Mm-hmm. Again and again, when you know people will announce pregnancies, and I think, oh, you've never had to go through what I went through. You get to enjoy this pregnancy, and I, I feel these like feelings of jealousy, which is awful. I don't, I don't mean it. Mm. And then I think, well, you know, I don't know what it's like to struggle to fall pregnant. So people would look at me and go, oh, you're so lucky because you fall pregnant so easily. So, yeah, no. And it's all relative, isn't it? It's all relative, that's why. And I think, oh, my gosh, if you can be blissfully ignorant, that's special. Like, good for you. That's awesome. And and sometimes I I have guilt because I think, well, I'm talking about our loss and bringing attention to it. Therefore, I know that people that maybe wouldn't have thought about it before might. And then I think, well, am I then making their experience not as positive and not as blissfully ignorant Mm. for bringing attention to it yeah I understand yeah I totally understand what you mean there and I had the same thoughts about you know things like birth trauma and things like that and have a friend who just lost her baby at 40 weeks and she says very similar things Mm. and it's funny because I'm like we don't want to be scaring new mums. No. But we need to be talking about these issues. Yes. And I so think... it's sort of like, how, where's, that, where's that balance? Yeah, that's <laughs> like right. How like... we find this happy medium? Can you frame it as like education, not yeah. scaring? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah and, really but that's hard. what I think. I think yes. it's it, we have to set it in a certain light. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so everything was fine in this pregnancy? Everything was fine. But I had a massive turning point at 20 weeks. I went to a um, prenatal yoga workshop and that's where I met Amelia. So she was running that um, with the yoga instructor. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where I met her. And oh, I just feel like things changed for me at that point, which was so nice. Um, we had The she... power of doula. Oh, she's just the best. I just can't. <laughs> I say to everyone... Get a doula. Absolutely. Get a postpartum doula at yeah. the bare minimum. Yeah. Um, she had at the workshop, she had all these affirmations stuck up on the wall and she made us go and choose one that resonated with us. 
and I grabbed um, my baby is safe, strong and beautiful mm. or healthy, strong and beautiful, something along those lines. I think it was healthy, strong and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she asked me to share why I, um, she asked everyone to share why we chose the affirmation and of course I was first. <laughs> so I just opened up and I said, well, up until this point, I have not believed that my baby is healthy, strong and beautiful because of this experience I've had. And Amelia looked me dead in the eye and she said to me, you can do this. You have already given birth. You birthed your baby and you can do it again. And up until that point, I feel like nobody had given me that acknowledgement that yes, I had birthed my baby because in my mind, I'm thinking, I've gone through labor. Like I've, I've done this. That was labor. What happened to me? But you, we don't talk about it in those terms. No. So for her to just say that and validate that for me was huge. Mm. And I came home buzzing, just buzzing. It was one of those things that I was like, again, massive introvert in the morning. I was like, I don't think I really want to go to this thing. (laughs) Mick's like, come on, go. It'll be good for you. Best thing I ever, ever, ever did because I met Amelia. Mm. Um, So you hired her as your birth doula? Yes. So at... 24 weeks she actually reached out to me and said look I've been thinking about you if you ever want to do a birth debrief for sprinkle I would do that like I'm happy to do that for you You can come to my house and we can just chat about it no charge just come have someone listen to you obviously she got a vibe that I just really needed to talk about it yeah but also Um, she's very intuitive anyway but that's I, I've sort of just had this epiphany um, <laughs> with birth debrief. You say that, yeah, yeah, for a miscarriage. Yeah. And I say that with the yeah. bunny ears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, what a game changer! Yes. Huge in part of the healing and processing Huge. of it all. Yeah, yeah. Miscarriage is wow. birth, right? Wow. Like, it's the same as how we would say, well, a vaginal birth is birth and so is a C-section birth. They're both mm-hmm. birth. They're just different ways of birthing. And so is miscarriage. Mm. Whether you have a D&C or you pass your baby like I did, like it's, it's still birth. You still went through all the hormonal stuff, yeah. physical stuff. It's, it's birth, right? Yeah. Tell me about your birth. Yeah. Birth was... And this was quite a healing birth for you hundred percent. Yeah. 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 It was so special. Um, my, so Amelia had actually come over for our last, um, prenatal session on sun on a Sunday and she did a womb cleanse with me. So again, this might sound like super woo woo to people, but, um, she like, she popped me up on pillows and I lay down and, um, just closed my eyes and she, it was essentially just a guided meditation that she took me through and I just really just relaxed and um so that was really quite cleansing as well um and I think that same day Mick and I had both talked to her about sprinkle so we both shared our story and our experience of it through our separate lenses I guess mm-hmm. so we'd had this big emotional purge and then this beautiful womb cleanse and then that night, Mick was like joking, like, ha, 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 you're so relaxed that you're probably in early labor. 
and I didn't say anything to him, but I was like thinking, mm, I'm having like little twinges, nothing, but I was like, there is like nothing worth bringing to his attention at this point, but little, you know, just pulls and tightenings and things. And I text Amelia and I said, ha ha ha, Mick said this, but I am having tightening. And she's like, well, you probably are in early labor. Like so chill <laughs> as mm-hmm. she is, <laughs> not her first rodeo. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then nothing really like came of that but on the Tuesday night I was lying in bed and it was about quarter past 10 and I was almost asleep and then I had this like whoosh and I thought oh my god my waters have just broken so I got up and went to the toilet and yeah like there was no doubt about it in my mind my waters had broken mixed slept through the whole thing I think I was sitting on the toilet for like 15 minutes just mopping up my waters I came out and I said to him, my waters have broken. I'm just going to go call the midwife. Because, um, um, again, power of a doula, Amelia got us onto caseload care at the hospital. So we had the same um, midwife. So I called her and she said, um, come into the hospital because, you know, when your waters break, we want to just monitor, blah, blah, blah. If I had my time again, I wouldn't have gone. But we went. Um, and... They had me hooked up to the monitor and honestly that that period of time I think for me was the hardest point in my labor because the sensations I was so after my waters broke when we were driving to the hospital I started having like contractions essentially um, but the pain was really similar to the sensations I was feeling when I lost sprinkle mm. so that like early labor feeling was really similar to what I felt in my miscarriage um so that like mentally that was one of the hardest points of labor for me um but we're in hospital and they had me hooked up to the monitor so then they had me on my back and I just knew I didn't want to be in my back and I was just in this shitty headspace getting really upset and frustrated and they'd left the you know they'd left me for like an hour and a half and the monitor had slipped off my belly so it wasn't even picking up the heart rate anyway and we're caught, we're pressing the button and no one's coming. And in the end, when the nurse came, we just said, we're going home. Um, and she said, oh, I'd really like you to see the doctor first. Cause you know, you had like five contractions in a row and the baby's heart rate dropped and then came back up. And we knew that that was normal because we'd had Amelia and we'd done all the research. Mm-hmm. So we knew that that was normal. So I was like, no, that's normal. Heart rates come back up to normal. We're going home. So we went home. We got home at about two o'clock in the morning and I said to Mick you just go to bed go to the spare room get some sleep like you know we could be here for a long time and then by five o'clock in the morning I had woken him up from the other side of the house with my horse's breath and (laughs) all the noises um so it kicked like I tried to get some sleep and it was just not happening it kicked off pretty quickly for me um so at about seven ish he called Amelia she got to our place at 7 30 um and honestly, the second she walked in the door, I just, like, I just relaxed. I was just like, yes, we're in good hands here. This is going to be fun. Um, <laughs> and it was so fun. Like, early labor was so fun. We had the TENS machine going. They were laughing at me because I think when I put it on, it was on 12. By the time we left for the hospital, it was on, like, 50-something. <laughs> and they were just, yeah, it was just good we, we had laughs we were chilled they were making breakfast it was just really lovely um and having her was so good because she would be like 
all right, come on, let's get up and walk around. Just, you know, she could pick up on when I needed to do something and just kept it moving so nicely. And I kept being like, is it time to go to the hospital? Is it time to go to the hospital? And she was like, that's your choice. But, you know, I think we've got time. And then at one point I said, well, I think I'm ready to go. And she said, yep, I think we can go now. Um, And it probably took us another like half an hour to actually get out the door because I didn't have pants on and I didn't want to put my pants on. I was just like, (laughs) it was a whole thing. Um, so we transferred to the hospital at like 11, 30, 12. So it was broad daylight. So I put, um, a blindfold on, had a blindfold on the whole way to the hospital. Cause we're 40 minutes away. I don't even remember the car trip. I was just in this weird zone. I had put like affirmations. So that's up why in my you car. used the blindfold. Yeah. It was just I didn't of... want to get out of the zone I was mm. in with knowing if it was nighttime, it might've been a different story, but I think yep. just knowing that it was literally the middle of the day outside, um, yeah, I just needed to be in my own space. Mm. Um, Mick had... What a cool thing. I hadn't heard that before. I know. And I tell people that. And me. they go, oh, you had a blindfold on. And I'm like, yeah, I just I sort of makes block sense. everything out. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'd, I'd learned enough about, you know, the role of oxytocin and adrenaline and stuff that I knew that I was like, I don't want adrenaline to come into play and I don't want to slow myself down if I can avoid it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we had like my meditation music going on in the car and... I had stuck affirmations up on the dashboard and had my blindfold on so I couldn't see them. But um, I had one up that was, I am safe, I can do this. And I think one of the biggest fears for me was being alone because I was alone with Sprinkle. That was something that we worked through a lot with Amelia is that I'm not going to be alone this time. And because Um, we're in COVID, when in COVID did this happen? Because Melbourne had COVID again. Yeah. yeah, Well, Melbourne had the longest in the world lockdown. Yeah. Was this throughout that lockdown? So we, we weren't in lockdown when I had Maisie, but the next day, then we went into the snap lockdown that then turned into the three month or whatever it was. Yeah. 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 Wow. So yeah, the next day. Yeah. Um, But sunshine hospital where I had Maisie was amazing and they've never changed their, um, births. Like they've had two birth support people the whole time. So they've never changed that, which is so good, but. Because they recognize the importance of birth support. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we... Yeah, sorry. So no, you rocked up right. to the so hospital. Rocked up to the hospital and um, oh, it was really cute. I remember, again, I had my blindfold on, so this is all just like audio for me, but um, the elevator come down and there was two old ladies and they've said, oh, good luck. You know, they could clearly see that I was laboring hard. Mm. Um, so we got up into triage and... Um, I didn't have any vaginal examination, so I declined from the start because, again, I had a lot of trauma from having the speculum the first time around. And Mm -hmm. I just was like, I know that if there's things up me, I'm going to have a trauma response and I'm going to slow down. It's just not going to be good for me. Um, So, you know, they wanted to check me when I got in there and then they wanted to check me again when I got into the birthing room and they wanted to check me again before I got in the birth pool, but I just kept saying no but um before I got in the birth pool I had this real mental dilemma where I really felt pressured to say yes and mm-hmm. Amelia always says she says I could see the conflict going on in your minds like my people pleaser really came out and I was like I should just say yes and then you know they'll stop asking me and I yeah, thought about it yeah. for probably a good five minutes and then I just said no nah, I don't want them 
it's a no. I had to really trust myself and trust my body. And again, that was so much of the healing process was about trusting in myself again and tuning Mm -hmm. into my body and trusting my intuition and being okay with saying no, you know. Amelia kept saying to me, the hospital is like a hotel. I got in the pool and I had had it in my mind that, you know, my ideal was to have a water birth, but I just was like, you know, if it, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. I, ha- I was like, oh, I don't want to get into the pool until I know I'm really close. I don't know why I got in my head about it. Um, I remember Amelia was just saying, well, if you get in the pool and we need to get you out, then we get you out. It's not a big deal. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. So we got in the pool. We tried the shower first and I hated that. It was all steamy and I felt like I was going to faint. Um, so I got in the pool and, oh, I just relaxed and I just loved it. Um, and there was... I, I had, I feel like, two really clear crises of confidence where the first one, I was like, I don't know how to push. I don't know how to push. Like, I'm, I'm not going to know how to push. And they just kept saying to me, no, you do know how to push. You're just not ready to push. And when you're ready, you, you will know. know. You will know. Mm. Um, and then, like, towards the end, I sort of got a bit, I can't, you know, as we do, I can't do this. I can't do this. It's so hard. I was. That's how we know baby's coming. Right. <laughs> Probably 17 hours deep at that point. And I heard, yeah. I still had my blindfold on too. Like I just kept it on the whole time. I don't know wow. why. Um, but I heard Amelia and Marg whispering and I just heard the word transition. And in my mind, I thought, oh my God, I'm not even at transition yet. <laughs> so I'm thinking, I'm stuffed. I'm going to end up in a cesarean. This is just not, you know. And because I'm also saying, I can't do this, I can't do this, Mick was like, she's done. He said to Amelia, he was like, she's done. Like, we need to pack it up and, you know, she's had enough. And Amelia just laughed because she's like, it's a happening. <laughs> it's mm. coming. Um, so I got to a point in the pool and I was like, I think I want to get out of the pool. Um, so I went to stand up and then had this huge massive contraction and then basically just collapsed back into the pool and then I never got out um and it's funny because I always thought I would be like upright or on all fours or but every time I had a contraction I ended up going backwards and like leaning back into the pool so I ended up like kind of on my back like sitting up almost it was just not what I thought I would do Mm um I remember they kept saying to me you're so close you're so close you're so close like have a feel, baby's head's there. And I'm like, no, it's fucking not. I'm not close. Like, leave me alone. <laughs> I was just like, this is not. I just kept thinking, all right, the next contraction is going to happen. The next contraction is going to happen. And it wasn't. But it was actually really quick. It just in my mind, I thought it was so slow. Um, I kept I kept pushing in between contractions too because I was just like, I had had no, I had no pain relief other than the water and um essential oils that I was sniffing um so yeah I just kept pushing because I just got to a point where I was like I just a bit done I wanted out get this baby out yeah Yeah. and they kept saying to me breathe breathe like you're not contracting breathe (laughs) I'm like I can't um but yeah there was a point at the end where I started getting like really emotional I sort of got in my own head a little bit I felt like it wasn't happening I had to really like turn in again I started reciting um, lines from this poem, The Dance, 
Um, it's really, I, I don't have it off the top of my head, but I can find it and send it to you. Um, so I just kept saying, we're doing the dance, we're doing the dance. It's basically about how you you mm. and your baby work together um, yeah. to labor. It's really beautiful. Um, and when I did that, Mick got really emotional and he started crying. And I honestly have no memory of this, but apparently I just heard him crying. And I looked up and I lifted up my blindfold and I said to him, it's okay, Mickey, you can do it. And I put my blindfold back on and like plopped back into the bath. And everyone had a real good laugh because I was like, peak, peak labor. And I'm encouraging him. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so it all just sort of like happened quite beautifully and easily. And um, Maisie came out and Mick caught her, which mm. was really, really special. Like, oh, still just blows my mind. Did he get in the water? He didn't get in the water. Okay. No, nah, it was never his plan to get in the water. And then at some point, um, Marg was like, are you going to get in the water? And I think he had this internal conflict of like, should I? Mm. And I was like, don't get in the water. I didn't want him in the water. Yeah, this is your space. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my space. Yeah. Um, no, so he didn't get in the water. But yeah, he, he caught her. And um, oh, yeah, just the fact that like, he was the first person to ever touch her before mm. me. Oh, I just, it's so special. Um, but I didn't see it because I had my bloody blindfold on still. Oh. So that's like one of my biggest regrets. I just wish I took the blindfold off at the end there. But I was just so in my zone. I just had to, Yeah. I had to keep it on. I didn't really know mm. what I was doing at that point. Mm. Um, yeah. And so then he's, he put her on me and they put a towel on her. And yeah, we didn't know her gender so she's just on me for a little while and I think at one point I just I don't know I don't know how long it was but I just went what are you <laughs> and then he's lifted up her leg and girl and the look on my face we were convinced we were having a boy so what do you think was a game changer in your birth prep besides having the birth <laughs> and the say, can I say doula have I made it clear that everyone should get a door? I mean, yeah, absolute um, game changer. But yeah, absolutely. Aside game from those things, um, for me, it was also seeing a psychologist. Mm. Um, I don't think I ever would have done the internal work that I did without a combination of a doula and a psychologist. I think it was a really good balance for me at that time. Um, yeah, so I think. I had to unpack a lot of stuff mm. that I had, a lot of fear and a lot of feelings about myself and just a lot to unpack. Um, but I think, and it ties into, again, having a doula, but just antenatal education was mm. massive. The biggest thing, I would not have had the birth that I had with Maisie had we A, not have gone through what we went through with Sprinkle, but B, not have then put things in place to have a different experience the next time around mm. um when you say antenatal education you're not referring to the hospital's antenatal education no, no. <laughs> yeah no. Uh, i think that's people's sort it's of default a big one, isn't it yeah that's yeah. really true yeah what do you think your experiences have taught you whilst i don't think that you know there was a lesson to learn i can mm. acknowledge that my experience having gone through what I went through was so you know I have taken so much positive from that experience so 
I never would have done the work on myself if we hadn't had that experience. I just wouldn't have. Trusting my intuition, trusting my body again. I, yeah, I would never have done that either. Yeah, and I think as well, you know, Mick and I have become so much closer because how can you not when you go through this profound grief together? I don't think we would have connected in the way that we have had we not gone through that loss as well. And I just think, and again, it's going to sound super woo-woo, but I just think that part of me is like, you know, I feel like Sprinkle sent Maisie to us at the time that she arrived their birthdays are really close together um and I just feel like there's there's just a part of me that just goes yeah it was divine timing and divine planning that she knows that I needed Maisie to be around on the days when you know the weight of missing sprinkle is so heavy and so unbearable that I need this beautiful special person in my life to help me shoulder that in a way and distract me from it (laughs) that's so beautiful I love it I love it and it's so I love hearing you talk about your experiences and the hard and the happy and what you're saying you know you don't necessarily learn lessons but you sort of reconnect and rebuild yourself throughout these experiences and we're we're still learning like we're learning about ourselves and this is how yeah and yeah being able to transform the challenges in your life into something that can be empowering and I am who I am because of those things I think there's power in that so Good on you, Sarah. You've done the work. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, thank you. It's been so nice to get to know you and chat. And thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing your story in such detail. I know that can be difficult. Yeah. Thanks so much for creating such a safe space, I think, for people to share their stories. And I just feel like if one person listens to this and it resonates for them and they feel slightly less alone or as you said Mm. gives them slightly more hope than job done i'm happy with that thank you so much for listening we hope you enjoyed this episode if you're listening and would like to share your story with us or feel compelled to talk about issues surrounding women's health please don't hesitate to reach out we would love to hear from you you can find us at the power of birth on instagram and facebook or on our website thepowerofbirth.net If you loved this episode, we would love it if you left us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on and share us with your family and friends. The conversation has to start somewhere. Thank you again for listening and we hope you join us in the next episode.